Okay, church, uh, if you brought your Bible, how about taking it and opening it to Matthew chapter 7, okay? Go to Matthew chapter 7. In a moment, we'll read verse 12 together. Today, we are on the fourth part of a six-part series of messages entitled, The Greatest Hits. The Greatest Hits of Jesus Christ, hence Sweet Caroline as a countdown song before we started the service. Uh, the greatest hits of Jesus are those teachings that have been around in, for 2,000 years. A lot of people try and live by those teachings, and they have no idea that it was Jesus who actually said it first, or it was Jesus who actually taught it first. The first time we were together, we talked about building a life on the rock. You can build your life one of two ways, Jesus said. He said you can build it on shifting sand, or you can build it on a firm, solid foundation like a rock. Only one of two choices. And remember, we talked about if you follow Jesus, and then you buy in and believe Jesus, and then you obey his teaching, that's how you build a life on the rock. Now, the next time we got together, we talked about the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. Uh, some of you know it as the Our Father or the Our Father Prayer. Jesus taught his disciples and others who were listening exactly how to pray. He taught us to surrender our will before our Creator and then make our requests known to our Father. And then last time, Jonathan talked about faith that can move mountains. Today, we're going to talk about this, the golden rule. Now, I first became exposed to the Golden Rule in the first grade. In Florida at Turkey Creek Elementary School, uh, my first grade teacher, Mrs. McDonald, she had this on the board or on the wall. Uh, that was back in the days when even if you were a public school, you could put a Bible verse on the wall if you wanted. It said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The Golden Rule is something you probably learned as a little bitty child. What a lot of people don't realize is while the words Golden Rule do not appear in your Bible... Uh, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, which incidentally, Sermon on the Mount doesn't appear in your Bible either. These things were added by the editors and the uh, expositors of Scripture later on, hundreds of years later, whereby students of God's Word can easier study and understand uh, the teachings of Jesus Christ, one of which is our subject for today, the Golden Rule. Here it is. It comes from Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Jesus said... So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. All right, pause for a moment. That's one verse. It's at the end of a larger section. One verse that stands by itself. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. The golden rule. So in everything Jesus said, that statement assumes the equality and the sanctity of every human life in everything. You see, the world might assign us certain stations. There are the rich and there are the poor. There are the educated and there are the not. There are the haves and the have-nots. There are those with power and influence and those with none. But Jesus said, regardless... In everything to everyone, big things, small things, political things, indifferent things, in all things, everything, make sure you do to others what you would have them do for you. For this sums up the entirety of the Old Testament. That's what Jesus said. Now, don't misunderstand. The golden rule is not the way to God. That's not how you go to heaven, by keeping the golden rule. That's not what Jesus is saying. 
Jesus is saying all of the commandments in the Old Testament that refer to interpersonal relationships, how I'm supposed to treat you and how you're supposed to treat me, how we're supposed to treat others, both those we know and those we don't, all of the law, the sum of the prophets, can be comprised by the golden rule. Now, it's not just here in Matthew chapter 7. This whole idea is repeated again and again and again in the New Testament. Along comes the Apostle Paul. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 14, Paul said the entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. Do you remember when Jesus was asked, Rabbi, boil it down for us. This comes from Matthew chapter 12, verses 30 and following. Of all the commandments, at that time there were 600 plus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? He said, it's one, but it's twofold. Love God and love others. Love God intentionally, wholeheartedly, and love your neighbor as yourself. Over and over again throughout the pages of the New Testament, the other apostles bear witness to the teaching of Jesus Christ. Jesus said it again in another way in Luke chapter 6, verse 31. He said, do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, this is important because it's right in the middle of what I would call another one of Jesus' greatest hits, the love your enemies passage. In the midst of talking about loving one another, Jesus said, not only love one another, not only love your neighbor as yourself, even love your enemies. Now look, this same idea, what we would call the golden rule, uh, was around before Jesus. The same idea appears throughout ancient history, both in other religions and other time periods. Jesus wasn't the first one to come along and say something like this. But as I'm going to show you, what he said is strikingly different than what already existed. For instance, for hundreds of years, the Jews in their Talmud, the Jewish Talmud reads, What is hateful to you, do not to your fellow man. In other words, hundreds of years before Jesus Christ came on the scene, the Jews and the Jewish Talmud taught, What is hateful to you, whatever you detest, whatever you despise, make sure you don't do that to someone else. Confucianism said the following, do not do to others what you do not want them to do to you. That's self-explanatory. Hinduism taught, this is the sum of our duty. Do not do to others what would cause pain if done to you. Buddhism taught, hurt not others in ways that you yourself find hurtful. The Baha'i religion or tradition teaches, he should not wish for others that which he does not wish for himself, nor promise that which he doth not fulfill. Now look at that list. You see the phrases I've underlined? Every one of them existing prior to the person of Jesus Christ and the golden rule is in the negative. Do not hurt someone. Don't do something to someone else that you don't want them to do to you. Every one of them, look. Now, contrast that with the golden rule. Matthew 7, verse, 14, or verse uh, 12. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus said, do in everything to others what you would want them to do to you. You see, contrary to Hinduism, Confucianism, Contrary to Buddhism, contrary to Judaism, which is all in the negative, along comes Jesus, the carpenter's son from Nazareth, and he said, here's the rule to live by. The one rule that sums up the entirety of the Old Testament. Make sure you intentionally do for others what you wish others would intentionally do 
for you. Huge difference between the two. Gigantic, enormous difference. Jesus instructs you, he instructs me, to do something intentionally that is favorable for someone else. Jesus instructs me, he instructs you, to intentionally, proactively do something that's good for someone else, while the others prohibit you from doing something that's unfavorable to others. You get that, right? You see the difference? In fact, I'll put it on the screen. Here's what it boils down to. Jesus taught, do for others what you want them to do for you. But others taught, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Now you say, why are you making such a big deal out of this? Because this is a biblical principle of growing your faith walk. From cover to cover, this principle is alive in the Word of God. You see, while man says, tell me what to turn loose, tell me what to get rid of, Tell me what not to do, and I'll gain acceptance in the eyes of God Almighty. Along comes Jesus and says, look, you can't look at it that way because you'll never measure up that way. What you've got to do is add to what's already there something good, something wholesome, something positive. And for a follower of Jesus Christ, that is faith in the risen, resurrected Son of God, Jesus Christ. Look. Let's say that I'm a health and science and, you know, kind of a, a physique expert. Now, you can look at me and tell that's not the case. But let's say you come to me and you say, look, I want to get healthy. You know what I'm going to tell you? I'm going to tell you what anyone who's honest with you will tell you, that if you do the right things, if you add the right behaviors if you, in addition to who you are, what you are, your DNA, your, your lifestyle, that sort, if you start adding good things, you don't have to give up eating pizza. You don't have to stop eating ice cream. You don't have to give up everything that tastes good. You don't have to steer clear of this whole food group. You don't have to steer clear of that whole food group. No. You can, if you're doing good things, if you're active, if you exercise, if you put your body to the test periodically, if you are uh, moving and not stationary, if you are active and not sedentary, you can eat pizza. You can eat, you can eat fried foods. You don't have to steer clear of fast food. If you're trying to get healthy, it's not about stop eating that, stop eating that, spit that out, avoid that wholeheartedly, completely. No, no. Anyone with any honesty and understanding of food science will tell you that you could almost eat anything you want to eat if you're doing the right things. You see, that's what the Bible teaches, and we call it the golden rule. I tell couples this all the time. Couple sits down in my office, you know, and we're talking. And sometimes when couples go to marriage counseling, I think they look at a marriage counselor, which I'm not a marriage counselor. Don't misunderstand, I'm not. But whoever they're talking to, they look at them like a referee, like, you know, well, this is what happened, and this is what he said, and well, that's what she said, and this is what he did, and that's how it happened. Now, who's right? And the counselor's supposed to say, point for you, you know? So at the end of the session, it's like the husband five and the wife seven, okay? So they walk out of there thinking, well, okay, I won seven, you won five, I'm up by two, right? That's not healthy marriage counsel. I try and encourage marriages, if there's a problem in your relationship, stop trying to assign blame to each other. Well, if you'd stop saying that, well, if you'd stop doing that, well, if you'd quit with the attitude, if you'd drop this, right? See, we all think if we can rid ourselves of the negative, that somehow we'll be healthy. That's not what the Bible teaches. You see, 
All the other world religions assume that mankind starts out in the positive. And if we can just keep from the negative, we'll remain acceptable before God. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, Romans chapter 3, that I'm a sinner before God. Even on my best day, under my best intention, I have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard of perfection. You see, Christianity teaches that I don't start out in the positive. I start out in the negative. I don't start out with an excess. I start out with a deficit. So if my marriage is suffering, it's not about curbing the negative behavior as much as it is about adding the positive behavior. You see, it's not so much if I'm trying to get healthy about refusing to eat pizza or abstaining from fast food. It's about adding a healthy lifestyle to go with the diet that I'm chosen. The scripture is unlike any other world religion in that it teaches that mankind begins in the negative. And it's only by adding the positive that we make any progress. It's not about refusing the negative. It's not about abstaining from the negative. It's about adding the positive. Now, with all the others that I mentioned a moment ago, that were around long before Jesus came on the scene. All that's required is that you don't harm other people. In fact, if you ask a lot of people in our culture today, what's the golden rule? They'd say, well, be nice to people, don't harm other people. Well, that's what the other world religions teach. It's actually ancient political correctness when you think about it. It's, oh, be careful not to offend anyone else. If you don't want someone to say it to you, then make sure you don't say it to them. Guard your speech. Guard your actions. Guard your inferences. Walk around on eggshells. Tiptoe around controversial subjects. Make sure that you're careful when discussing diversity or culture or identity. Make sure you say it this way. Never say it that way. Do you realize that we have articles all across our country on college campuses, Red Book, MTV's running commercials about which costumes this year for Halloween were politically insensitive. You see, we have bought as a culture political correctness hook, line, and sinker. And everybody's tiptoeing around eggshells, making sure that I use the right verbiage, making sure I don't say this in front of that people group, making sure I don't phrase it that way. Do you know who I feel most sorry for these days in our politically correct culture? My parents. My parents. They're 80 and 82 years old. They were raised in a different time. They grew up in a different culture. Everybody wasn't so sensitive back then and scared to death that we were going to somehow trample on someone's identity if we phrased our question the wrong way. You can watch my dad. You can, now look, my dad's anything but sensitive, okay? I grind my teeth and hold my breath when we're in public quite often. However, however, you can watch the wheels turn. He wants to make sure he doesn't say it in a way that is seen as politically incorrect or insensitive. Well, Congratulations, America. How's that working for you? How's political correctness working for you, America? How's my fear that I'm going to slip up and say it the wrong way? How's that working for us? You see, the difference between what Jesus taught in the golden rule and political correctness today is one is positive and one is negative. Jesus said, look, 
Don't get hung up in the verbiage. Don't get hung up in the list of do's and don'ts. Don't get hung up in the list of controversial topics. Don't sit by passively and refuse to engage. Instead, convince someone that you're proactive in your love. And then guess what? If you slip up and you say it in a way that's not politically correct, guess what? They'll most likely forgive you they'll most likely give you a second chance. If you know that I love you, and yet I say something that I had no idea was racially insensitive, don't you think we can have a talk about that? But if you don't know I love you, or matter of fact, if I don't love you, but yet I continue to dance around, making sure I stay away from certain subject matters, making sure I don't use certain words, aren't you just waiting for me to trip up? Aren't you just waiting for me to slip up? You see, that's the difference between this ancient idea of political correctness. A lot of you thought political correctness was 25, 30 years old. No, it goes all the way back to the Buddhists. It goes all the way back to the Hindus. Scripture says very plainly that as followers of Jesus Christ, the church, those who have embraced authentic faith in Jesus Christ, we're supposed to impact our world. Now, how do we do it? Not by killing the infidel... Kill the infidel. I kill you. <laughs> Little Jeff Dun Dunham reference there. It popped in my head. Sorry. <laughs> Jesus said, no, you don't impact the world by removing the negative. You impact the world by shining your light. That's what he said. You don't impact the world by removing everyone who disagrees with you, by silencing those who would speak out against you. That's not how you solve America. That's not how you solve the world. You impact your world by shining your light. It's the difference between negative political correctness and positive golden rule. Look, with Jesus, what is required is simply you try to show kindness to other people. Try to treat them with the same respect you want to be treated with. Jesus' rule is golden. The others have some value. Look, nobody's saying you ought to go out of your way to try and offend someone. Obviously, that's not what I'm saying. That's certainly not what Jesus is saying. But the other rules can't hold a candle to the golden rule. The others have value, but they're not as valuable as gold. Others are similar to the golden rule, but they're stated in the negative. They rely on our, your passivity. Shh, don't open your mouth. Shh, be quiet. Shh, don't get involved. The golden rule, however, is positive. It commands us to show love proactively. The other Eastern religions say, refrain from doing. Stop. Don't you dare. But Jesus comes along and says, no, don't look at your life that way. I say, do. Go. Act. Here's the way I would say it. World religions say it's enough to hold your negative behavior in check. That's the goal. That's the ethic. That's the target. But followers of Christ know that we're supposed to look for ways to act positively, and the two are very different. Imagine for a moment how your marriage could change if you stopped assigning blame. Well, that's one against you. Well, that's two against you. If you stopped assigning blame, if you stopped thinking the solution to your problem is to remove the negative, and you simply started applying or adding the positive. You set your eyes on a goal and you said, okay, what do we need to do to go there? How about your money? How about your time? How about your work relationships? You see, the command to love sacrificially is one of the things that separates Christianity from every other world religion known to man. In fact, the Bible's command to love includes the radical 
command to even love one's enemies. It's in this same sermon two chapters earlier, Matthew chapter 5 and verses 43 and following. Look, here's the big idea for today. Let's hit this. I'll illustrate it, and we'll wrap it up. Here's the big idea. Your faith walk, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've bought in authentic faith in Christ, he was who he claimed to be, your faith walk is active, not passive. It's intentional, not apprehensive. I think so often we get this backwards. I think it's not only political correctness, it's been religion traditionally that's gotten this backwards. I mean, think about it. We go out Monday through Saturday. We live our lives apart from church. We mess things up. What do we do? We come to church on Sunday to erase the bad behavior of the previous six days. Even more profound, we go to confession to erase the implications of the bad behavior. See, to atone for my bad behavior during the week, we've taught each other, well, you've got to go to church. That's how you make it right. Okay? You, to, to get rid of the bad, that's the goal. Get rid of the bad. How do you do that? That's why we're so active in politics and very passive when it comes to our faith. You know, we have no problem sticking a Trump bumper sticker on our bumper or a Democratic leadership bumper sticker on our bumper. But when it comes to expressing our faith, when it comes to talking about who we are as sinners before a holy God, needing a Savior like Jesus Christ, much of us, most of the time we zip our lips. Look, do not live in fear of offending someone else. There are some people in churches like this one and others around who assume the more mature the Christian, the fewer people they offend. You see? Hear me. There are a lot of people that think mature Christians, mature believers, followers of Christ, well, they're people that just don't offend anyone. That Jesus was somehow kind of this milk toast, you know, kind of frail, kind of soft guy around the edges, and he just never made anyone mad because that's what made him so godly and pious. Jesus made all kinds of people mad. Paul made all kinds of people mad. Peter made all kinds of people mad. You have never instructed in this book not to offend someone. You say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute now. Isn't there a passage in Romans chapter 8? Matter of fact, it's repeated by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Something about offering meat to idols and whether or not we should eat it. Aren't you supposed to avoid certain things to keep from offending others? No, that's not what the text says. Study it for yourself. The text says, if what I'm going to do as a follower of Christ would drive or point someone straight to hell, well, then I shouldn't do it. It doesn't say if what I'm going to do offends you, I shouldn't do it. Do you know how many people I've offended through the years? Look, I, I couldn't stand here and do this job with a straight face if this weren't the means of Christianity. God has never asked Mike not to offend someone. Now look, you understand, you get where I'm coming from. I don't go out of my way to try and offend people. You get that, right? But God doesn't say, Mike, tiptoe around this and make sure you're careful how you say that. And be real cautious when you're in this kind of a group and make sure you don't say it that way. Always use this term. That's not what God says. The golden rule says, Mike, it's not one size fits all. Here's a list of things not to say. No, no, no. There's room for personality. There's room for outgoing people and, and quiet people. There's room for people who would go at it one way and go others that would go at it another. Here's what it says, Mike. Just treat people the way you'd like to be treated. Isn't that simple? Be proactive. Be proactive. Once again, here's the big idea. The faith walk is active, not passive. It's intentional not apprehensive. Now, 
I'm not going to tell you this is easy, okay? Unfortunately, this is very difficult. This week, as I put this together, I can't tell you how many times I sat at a light, the light turned green, and I watched the person in front of me stare at their phone. It was hard then to treat them with the same respect I'd like to be treated with. See, what I want to do is kind of, matter of fact, this happened to me last week. On the way to town, I'm sitting at the light, the arrow turns, I watch the person in front of me, they're obviously on their phone, and I think, okay, okay, I just studied the golden rule. What am I going to do here? Okay, I want to go where I'm going. I want to say, hey, put down the phone and drive the car. That's what I want to say, okay, but I don't. Finally, they pick up their head and off they go, okay. On the way back, I'm at the same light, only now I'm the one at the light in front, and I'm waiting, and my phone buzzes. Bzz. What did I do? I forgot that idiot I was behind 30 minutes earlier, and I grabbed my phone, and I looked at it, and what happened? The light turned green, and I didn't know it. Oh, man, I felt about that big. This is not easy. This is incredibly difficult. Human nature demands that I naturally expect certain things out of you that I would never expect out of myself. In fact, in light of this, I made a list. Uh, not an exhaustive list, but just a handful of things. These are things that I naturally expect from you, but it's very difficult for me to give you. Here they are. These are for me, not you. Number one, understanding understanding. I expect you to understand. I expect you to look at it from my viewpoint. I expect you to walk a mile in my shoes, but don't ask me to offer you the same understanding in, re in return, right? That's just the way we're wired. That's just the way we're egocentric. Here's another one. Explanation. I expect to be able to explain to you. If I have an opportunity to explain myself, then you'll understand why I said what I said or why I did what I did. How many opportunities am I willing to give you to explain yourself? You see, that's why when someone says something to me and it kind of rubs me in a, a, the wrong way, that's why it's difficult to pick up the phone and say, hey, look, are we all right? Are we okay? I mean, you said this and, and I said that, but I, I wasn't quite sure what you meant. And I tell you, that really made me feel this way. Are we okay? Listen, listen. We're okay if it's about them knowing I love them and I know they love me. It's not okay if we've both been tiptoeing around certain words and certain phrases and certain situations. Explanation. Here's a big one, confidentiality. You know the Bible says it's a good and healthy thing to confess our sins to each other. If you don't have a confidant in your life, if you don't have someone close to you, especially a husband or a wife, you can be transparent with, you can put it out there, you can say, man, I struggle with this. When you pray for me, please pray for this because this is big to me and I'm, I wrestle with it every day of my life. If you don't have that kind of confidence, my heart's heavy for you because everybody needs one. But listen, when I open up to you, I expect you to keep your mouth shut. When you open up to me, sometimes it may be something I need to take to the pastor because we need to pray. Right? Isn't that the way it works? See, I tell it to you, and you say, oh, man, thanks for sharing. And I say to myself, okay, now that's between us, and I expect you to keep it confidential. But when someone opens up to me, well, it just might drive me to someone else. Say, Look, you know, we, I'm not going to say who, but we really need to pray for them because let me tell you something. And there it goes. See, Here, here's another one. Benefit of the doubt. Look, don't be quick to judge me. Look, you've known me a long time. If I ran my life off into the weeds for a minute, if I got off into the ditch for a second, if I said something or did something I shouldn't have done, give me the benefit of the doubt. You've known me a long time. But I don't always give you the benefit of the doubt. And really, the last one and the biggest one is forgiveness. It kind of encompasses all the others. 
Often forgiveness is your only solution. You see, you can't assign blame. You can't say, well, you did this and I did that. Well, which is greater? That's what a lot of couples try to do. You know, I did this, that hurt you. You did this, that hurt me. These are two completely different things. Which is worse? Well, that's what they think a marriage counselor is going to do. Oh, well, he's got you by three. Oh, she's got you by two. No, that's not the way that works. You're never going to resolve all of those issues. Often forgiveness, a fresh start, is the only option you have. It is the greatest solution enabling you to move on. Now, why is that so difficult? Here's why. Because of verses 1 through 5 in Matthew chapter 7, I am prone to judge you, and yet I don't want to be judged by you. That's what Matthew 7, 1 through 5 says. In fact, here's the way I'd put it. Here's our problem. We tend to judge others by their last worst act while judging ourselves by our last best intention. You ever notice that about yourself? You judge others by their last worst act. You judge yourself by your latest greatest intention. Right? You know what you wanted to do. You know what you hoped to accomplish. You know what the big picture was. But that's not the way we judge others. Now, I got a question for you, and I'll quit. Who in the world can live like this? I mean, who actually can be proactive in their love for other people? Who can do it? The scripture says only a disciple of Jesus Christ, only someone who possesses what Paul calls a new nature, only someone whose intention is to follow Christ can love a neighbor, refuse to judge, give others the respect, the desire that we hope to receive for ourselves. Jesus said in John 13 verse 35, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. First John chapter 4 verse 20, the apostle John wrote, if anyone says I love God and yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Look, this is not rocket science, church. Political correctness is rocket science. The golden rule is not. Jesus said, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Again, it's not the same one-size-fits-all commandment that comes down politically. There's room for differences, room for personality, room for flexibility. Again, if you know I love you and I know you love me and we're just doing the best we can, a slip of the tongue or something, uh, a prejudice I didn't even know I had, we can work through that, can't we? Sure we can. But dancing around the minefield of politically correct jargon is something no one can accomplish. Once again, here's the big idea. The faith walk, it's active, it's not passive. It's intentional, but it's not apprehensive. I tell you all the time, your faith walk is most important. Your relationship with God is the most important relationship you, you know. Because if your relationship with God is not right, nothing will be right. If you in a marriage, if your relationship with God is not right, how in the world can your marriage be right? If you're not growing in your faith walk, if the relationship with God is not evolving, is not changing, is not growing, how in the world can other relationships, work relationships, family relationships, even money and finance and other kinds of problems, nothing's going to be right. Stronger faith. Stronger faith, active faith, might solve your problem. A deeper commitment to your Heavenly Father might give you the strength to forgive someone who's wronged you. A more focused devotion might enable you to live out the golden rule, which is anything but passive.
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for clear, clearly speaking to us in areas like this. I mean, how much more clear could that be? Father, we need to walk out of here and we need to shift our thinking. Instead of worrying about what we shouldn't do or what we shouldn't say or, or how to say it or make sure we avoid saying it that way, God, if we would just simplify it and try to do good for others as we would want them to do for us. God, thank you for the beauty, the glory, and the grace that comes with the golden rule. I pray these things because of your son Jesus who gave it to us. Amen. All right, church, God bless you. Make it a fantastic weekend. I will see you next time.